Great to welcome you. My name is Pete Winter and I'm on the team here at HTB and uh, we're delighted to welcome you to the Leadership Conference. It's such an exciting few days um, of connecting and building new friendships and learning some really important stuff. You've come to a great venue. We're here uh, thinking through um, leader care and how we continue to grow as leaders um, and we'll be doing that through the rest of the seminars tomorrow as well. I'm really delighted to introduce, and I'm not going to take long to do this because you will have read their bios already, uh, but Will van der Hart, Kate Middleton and Rob Waller are great friends of the Leadership Conference. They've spoken the last few years as well, and uh, they are all involved in an amazing foundation called Mind and Soul. Um, I'm yet to come across a a better place where uh, people are engaging with the dynamics around theology and psychology and psychiatry and helping the church grapple with issues of mental health. And uh, these guys are at the forefront of leading that, making something happen, and helping to equip each and every one of us. Uh, They're absolute experts in their fields, and you can read from from their bios the different areas they're working in. Just wanted to flag a couple of books to you, that some of which are available there, although I think this is the last copy of Kate's book, but you might be able to get it from the bookshop over at Brompton Road. This is Refuel, um, and uh, I must confess, I've not read this, but my wife has, and uh, she was totally gripped, and I couldn't get any of her attention because she was refueling. So how to balance your your work, your life, your faith, your church, without burning out. We're living in this generation caught between broadband and burnout, and uh, we desperately need to be engaging in issues like that. Uh, Rob and Will have just released yet another book. They've written a whole series on different areas, perfectionism, worry, guilt, all those kind of areas and dealing with it, all available over there. But this latest one, The Power of Belonging, I want to really commend to you. Uh, The strap line here, discovering the confidence to lead with vulnerability. And uh, that's something we all need to continue engaging with as we were provoked this morning from main stage as Craig and Amy were encouraging us around that area as well. So do grab one of those. Uh, You need to pay for it, but you can grab one of those after the seminar. And uh, unless, Will, you want to give them all away? No, no, okay, okay, okay. We won't give them all away. <clears throat> so without further ado, um, I'm going to hand over to Will van der Haar, who also is here on the team at HTB. He's our pastoral chaplain, looks after all our pastoral courses, and helps really develop the work here for us as a church, as well as working with mind and soul um, all over the nation and beyond. So let's give them a massive round of applause. Wow. It's so good uh, to be here and it's so encouraging to see the venue absolutely packed because this is the moment, right, to grip self-care. You're thinking, yes, I've got a retreat couple of days. I'm now going to start caring for myself. It it would be awesome if you carry on that intentionality in the weeks and months ahead. But many of us know we'll come to an event like this and we'll do the self-care seminar and then when we go back to work, we'll start doing exactly what we were doing before. And one of the key challenges we face is that actually our desire so often in leadership is to, uh, to try and resolve issues around our success. We believe or we hope that we can engage with our security, our desire for security by first attaining our goal of success. We think if I just got that promotion, I could actually then feel secure and relax. If I just got a greater pay packet, I'd feel secure and I could relax. If I could invest in my pension that little bit more, I could feel secure and I'd relax. So we see security as the goal and success as the vehicle to achieve our goal. Now, if we are working from a position of hunger for security From the dynamic of success, self-care is normally the thing that we sacrifice. I will relax when I'm secure. I will rest 
when I'm secure. I will feed myself properly when I'm secure. And the only way of getting secure is by finding success. This is the Penrose staircase, which was the, the sort of genius uh, behind uh, Isha's famous lithograph um, of the circular staircase. You keep going round and round and round. But I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that success is the vehicle that's going to take you to security? As if you do, you are vulnerable for burnout in leadership. But if you believe that security is the position of your leadership to which you'll find greater success, you're in a great position to find self-care in your leadership. If you believe, now I'm secure, I will take care of myself, you are more likely to establish the conditions by which you will find success and leadership. But this is the great dichotomy that so many of us face, particularly in a nation which has come to love the adage, fake it to make it. You know, fake it to make it would be brilliant if it didn't work, because we wouldn't hold on to it so dearly. The problem with fake to make it is not that it doesn't work, it's that it does. You can fake it to make it. It's remarkable how many of us are faking it to make it. The trouble with fake it to make it is not the problem that you won't make it, it's the problems that happen when you do. You know, what do you do? Do you say to your colleagues after 10 years and you finally reach that level of seniority that you dreamt of and you turn around and say to you, guys, just want to let you know, my success thus far has been based on a relational lie. I just want to just tell you who I really am now and you can all love me authentically and I'm going to really enjoy my leadership from now on. You know, the reality is that many of us feel like we are faking it to make it. And the one thing we sacrifice to get to that position is our vulnerability. I don't want to show anyone that I'm human. You know, in 2005, I'd been overworking to the absolute max. I somehow, remarkably, got hold of some clergy vestments, which I didn't believe I was anywhere near worthy of wearing. And I overworked, and I overworked, and I overworked. And I thought, wow, someone is going to find me out. I imagine my face on the sort of red-top newspapers. Will Vanderhart has been made a priest, clearly by accident. And so I worked so hard from my insecurity through the vehicle of success to try to get to a position where I felt secure. And you know what? That overextension, that desire to use success for the sake of security led to my emotional breakdown. It's only from that place that I've actually begun to invest with this amazing team in emotional health and leadership. If we're faking it to make it, the challenge is that we sacrifice self-care to get to our desired destination. You know, on Everest, 15% of the people who die on Everest die on the way up. But 56% of the people who die on Everest die on the way down. Now, some of you think, what happened to the other people? <laughs> they, they died in other ways, but they weren't going up or down. The key point is, 15% died on the way up. A tiny number died climbing the mountain, but a huge number died on the way down. Success isn't the point at which you need to instigate self-care in your life. It's on the journey towards success. If we achieve the success that we're imagining and we haven't been applying self-care in our daily discipline, we are hugely vulnerable to lead a burnout. How many leaders have you seen in your world who've actually failed at the point of their greatest success? How many of us have found ourselves deeply, deeply disappointed in leaders who've achieved incredible things? We thought, how did that happen to this person? They're at the pinnacle of their success. 
Well, it's because they were climbing the mountain without self-care. And they got to the top and then everything broke down. Don't wait till you've achieved your dream before you've invested in yourself. It's the gift that God has given you for not just yourself, but for your ministry and for those in your care. One of the great challenges I find in my leadership and so many other senior leaders talk about to me around their leadership, this feeling of fraudulence. I feel like a fraud anyway. I don't believe that I deserve to look after myself. I see leaders who sneak off to the golf course or they sneak off for a manicure and they're like, don't tell anyone. They turn off their Instagram the moment they're doing anything recreational. If you look at their feed, it's just them preaching or teaching or leading or working or serving. But don't show anyone that you're doing anything recreational, anything that will give you life or energy. Because ultimately that feels fraudulent. And I want to say to you today, we all feel fraudulent. We all feel like apostles in leadership. But just because we do doesn't mean that we are. God has called each and every one of us to activities, to works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And he's also created a rhythm of rest that he's commanded in Genesis. That we might work hard for six days and rest for at least one. Self-care is at the heart of God because God is ultimately compassionate and he's for us. If we find ourselves living a false self, we project an image of ourselves that we believe other people will approve of and not reject. And that is a lonely place to lead from. We have to keep the myth alive. We have to keep the legend of us alive in the world around us. And I've met leaders in their 60s who say to me, Will, you know what, honestly... I'm just holding on for retirement. I'm like, what does that mean? Holding on for retirement. Sounds like, you know, an emergency landing. Well, that's kind of what it feels like. I'm holding on for retirement. But what does, you're so successful. What does holding on look like? Oh, holding on is carrying on pretending to be the person everyone thinks I am. And when I retire, then I can suddenly actually just be myself. I'm like, wow, how long has this been going on for? Well, it's been going for the last 30 years. Now, I've been holding on for retirement because ultimately the person I am is disconnected from the person that people think that I am. Now, God has called us to self-care, and that self-care is about the integration of our professional and our personal selves. He's called us. He's made us in his image. And he's actually calling us vulnerable people to go and demonstrate what life looks like in the world around with Jesus in it. And Jesus is our lifeblood. He's come to restore us, and he's restoring us in a very public way, like he restored so many people in Scripture as a sign of his love for the world. John Wimbrow said, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. And I agree with him. You know, but let's limp publicly and say, you know what? It's through the strength of God. It's through the love of God. It's through the grace of God. That's why I'm here, and I need help. I need help. I'm human, and in God's strength, and by God's power, I'm leading today. You know, we all wait for disaster before we're going to start caring for ourselves. We all think when things go really wrong, that's when I'm going to start working, you know, going to the gym, eating healthy, thinking about my mental, emotional health. We wait for bad times. But I want to tell you that success is way more stressful than you ever anticipated. Success is the reality of our living world. If you're here and you're successful, You are experiencing life stresses that are significant and damaging. And it's in our success that we need self-care as much as in our challenge. 
So I want you not to wait until things have got really bad before you start looking after yourself. I want you to say, wow, I am successful. Praise God for what he's doing in my life and ministry. And now's the time to start really looking after myself. Because I want to die on the way down this mountain. I want to worship God on this mountain. I want to set an altar to the Lord here. And I want others to realize too that, that I'm not superhuman. I'm just human. And Jesus is with me. He's my strength. He's my shield. He's my sustainer. And I'm going to take the responsibility of my leadership seriously. And that means taking responsibility for myself in leadership. Rob, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. My first decision for leader self-care is not to stand quite so close to the front of the stage as well. So I'm going to stand back here a little bit. Um, My name is Dr. Rob Waller. I'm a consultant psychiatrist. I work full-time for the NHS in Scotland in the lovely city of Edinburgh. So I'm partly feeling I'm at the wrong venue today, but hey, there we are. We're here. I'm going to try and take us on a bit of an inward journey now. Will's looked at some of the barriers. What does it mean to look for psychological strength, inner, inner core, emotional core? What do those sorts of things look like? I'm going to Start off, if you'll forgive me, by doing a bit of icon smashing. I'm going to tell you a story about the Myers-Briggs type inventory. Now, these are Catherine Cook Briggs. Her daughter Belle is a Myers-Briggs. These pictures were taken in about 1900. And many of you will have used the MBTI in team building days and that sort of thing. I don't want to knock it completely because it is, it is quite a bit of fun. But as a psychologist, psychiatrist, I've got some clear views about it. it. It started out not as a study of human personality, but as a woman grieving for the death of her two sons. The two sons died in infancy and she turned their house into a child-rearing laboratory for their daughter Isabel. And there was a reasonable degree of success. Over the years she became uh, the the daughter, she wrote a number of popular works of fiction, she became a polymath and was, was interviewed in various different exhibitions and it was at one level successful. But it was based on the mum's obsession with Carl Jung. And I would say probably she got her understanding of Carl Jung wrong because what she did was he looked at these dimensions, introversion, extroversion. Carl Jung was the person who brought us them. Thinking, feeling, sensing, intuitive. They, they came from his work. She looked at these dimensions of personality and put them into 16 boxes and said four dimensions, two extremes, that makes for 16 different personality types. It's very, very successful. It's pleasing. Everybody's a winner. Everyone reads their Myers-Briggs description and they go, oh yes, that's a nice description of me and I kind of get myself. The problem is, psychologically and scientifically, it does not perform well. A quote from Nature, the journal, science journal Nature said, using the MBTI to unlock the mysteries of the self is akin to trying to understand the Stone Age by watching the Flintstones. Okay? It is not valid, it is not reliable, it is not repeatable. And I wonder, and it's just been occurring to me since coming to this talk, a lot of MBTI things, you fill in a questionnaire yourself and you come to your conclusion. It's one thing you do as yourself. You, you, you go onto the internet and, and download it and off you go. And we've been hearing so much, haven't we, this conference about team and about people working things out together. And I wonder if sometimes it's too individualistic 
You can have quite a lot of fun with it. Um, I'm an ENTJ. I wonder who you are. So the the ENTJ is the um, chief executive or the commander in chief or the coach. You know, at their best, ENTJs are cool headed, analytical, rational. At their worst, they're quite overpowering. They want everything completed yesterday. But this, this personality type does describe me to some extent. I think there's probably a little bit more. You can also have quite a lot of fun. Um, apparently, all of these people, so um, the devil wears Prada, Princess Leah with the old hairstyle, I'm not sure she quite carried it through, and of course the Dark Lord of the Rings, Sauron himself, are apparently all ENTJs. I'm reliably informed that this has happened to Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well. You can go out and you can get the Myers-Briggs types for your favourite um, TV show, whatever it is. Probably going to be one for Line of Duty coming out fairly soon, I expect. The problem is, this is not what Jung said. Now, this is a picture of someone who looks a bit like Jung sitting on a rock. Jung was a bit weird. He spent several days, apparently, sitting on a rock, wondering where he stopped and the the rock began. He was quite odd, possibly psychotic, um, but he had tremendous insight into the human personality. And a lot of that came from his father. His father was a minister. Jung was brought up in the church. He was a a PK in today's terminology. His father got quite disenfranchised with religion. As far as we know, Jung wasn't a a Christian. His father's name, Paul Achilles Jung. What a great name. I think I need a name like that. Um, but, But his point was that don't go for the ends of introversion versus extroversion. Go for the midpoint. And do you know why? Because at the midpoint, you find Jesus. That's what Jung said. He said Jesus was both introvert and extrovert. Jesus was both sensing and intuitive. He was both thinking and feeling. Another example, St. Paul in the Bible, the thinker of Romans and of 1 Corinthians, the feeler of 2 Corinthians. So actually, Jung said, when you're working with these personality types, you ought to be aware of the middle. You ought to be aware that this is a dimension, not a box. And dimensions are good things because that means that we can change. It means that we can grow. It means that we can learn. We are not forever trapped on our particular 16th of it. Let's have another tool. This is um, Meredith. Anybody from Wales here? Meredith Belbin. Yes. Um, he has got one of, another one of those fantastic names. If you take one thing home from the leadership conference, it's go and get yourself a decent name. Okay? If... No, that's not true, is it? Of course. But Meredith Belbin is here outside the Henley Management College where he developed a lot of these ideas. And he's the first person who brought us the idea of roles within teams. So you probably heard a bit about this if you work in in business at all or in teams, that someone is a chair, someone is a good secretary, this person is a good analytical person who keeps quiet during the whole meeting and then goes, I'm just wondering, you know, and that right at the end of the meeting and you think that person had that brain to spot that. Meredith Belbin is the person who brought us these ideas about team roles. And there's two reasons why I'm showing it. One of them is because psychologically it's much more robust, fits much more with modern personality theory, has been proven again and again. And when you do the Belbin team roles, you fill in your own questionnaire and someone fills in one about you. Who thinks they're good at chairing meetings, okay? Would the people in the meeting say you were also good at chairing meetings? So you get that validity that comes from the interaction we have with other humans. It's a great... um, Who are you on the Meredith uh, Belbin team? I'm a plant. Um, This is the person who, if you've got a team that is a little bit stagnant and you want to shove something into it to bring some energy, you shove in a plant and they will cause all kinds of chaos and hopefully as a result of that generate some movement or some strategies in the team. At their best, they're creative, imaginative, they generate ideas. 
Belbin talks about allowable weaknesses. They, I'm really not enormously interested in details. Really, so not. My wife hates it. Um, but I'm really not enormously interested in that. But don't be surprised to find that they can be absent-minded or forgetful. There are some quite significant weaknesses that come with being a plant. One of the things that, that, that Belbin said, he said, the fact that the team has divided, decided on a valid way forward and is now in the implementation stage will not stop the plant from coming up with new solutions and trying to disrupt the implementation process. That's me down to a T, just when everyone else thinks they've got it sorted and they're moving on. I go, ooh, look. You know, and uh, so... The, the, the nice thing about the Belbin team roles is it gives us a different way of thinking, which, which is validated, it's much more scientifically sound, and I think taps into this idea that we are created, we are wired for connection. And as leaders, if we hide away from that, that is the path to the dark side. As a great Belbin quote, he said, a team is not just a bunch of people with job titles, but a congregation of individuals, each of whom has a role that is understood by other team members. And in the church, we should know that, shouldn't we? From 1 Corinthians 12, the idea of one body and many parts, where all are equal and all are valid and none are hidden away. That is a well-functioning team. We have that in scripture. Perhaps it took Belbin to to tell us that's how we ought to be functioning in our teams at work. Another great um, Belbin quote, nobody is perfect, but a team can be. Now, you might disagree with the theology, but this is as close as you are going to get to perfection, this side of heaven. So teams are vitally important and exciting things. But as we think about the inward journey, as we think about growth, about maturity, how do we do that? I'm not going to mention the Enneagram. Okay, having just mentioned the Enneagram. But the Enneagram, you you say, well, I'm a seven with an eight wing, whatever. Very interesting. Not enormously interested in what number you are. I want to know where you are on one mature to nine immature. Because within the Enneagram are these descriptions of maturity, of growth. These are your personality weaknesses. And these can be your strengths in terms of how you relate to other people. And I think one thing that... um, all of these models agree on, and of course that Christianity agrees on as well, is that character and growth comes through struggle. We heard from Craig this morning, didn't we, talking about pain. And many of you will be familiar with this verse in the Bible from Romans chapter 5. We know that suffering, or pain if you want to put it that way, produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. This is really resilience in a nutshell. Resilience is the buzzword in our schools, in our businesses. How do we become resilient? By successfully negotiating a stressor. You can be born have with more factors that make you more likely to be resilient. But resilience is successfully negotiating something, not suppressing, not reacting, not internalising, not externalising, but negotiating it using problem solving and then you are more resilient for the future. That's how resilience works. So I started off with Jung. I'm just going to finish with another a Jung story, if I can. He, he's perhaps less involved, uh, less in vogue in sort of scientific cycles today, which perhaps are all about cognitive behavioural therapy and things like that. But, but Jung was one of the people who brought us the idea of the midlife crisis. And as I've been taking my decisions for leadership self-care, I've decided to go on the number of adventures during my life. And one of the things I did was um, I thought about... I'm a pretty extreme extrovert, so I thought I need to get in touch with my introvert side. And Jung has this idea of the return of the repressed that sort of comes back and bites you on the bottom in the middle of your life unless you deal with it. So I thought, I have to go and get in touch with my introvert side. So um, I was living in 
in Yorkshire at the time, actually. And I rang up the Scottish Tourist Board and I said, where is the most remote cottage in Scotland that I can rent? And I've put the next um, picture up. This is where it is. I got there before M and 007. (laughs) This, contrary to the film, is not the A9. The A9 is bigger than that. I know we have little roads in Scotland, but it's not that small. This is not the A9. This is Glenetif. There are no roads down this. There's a road that comes in from one end, a road that comes in from the other end, and they stop quite a long way from the middle. And in the middle is this cottage. And I went to this cottage and I booked it by myself for the entire week. I drank nothing but coffee and whiskey. That's that's my kind of fast. And and I read. I read the first five books of the Bible and I skinny dipped in the loch. And it was one of the most transformative times of my life. I'm not going to rush to repeat it. It was quite painful for me as an introvert. But I peeled off several layers of the onion skin that were important for me to understand myself and how I relate to other people. I've just done another peel, if that is the right word to use beauty terminology. Um, I've just come back from two years living in New Zealand. And I went there... Because I grew up overseas a bit myself, so did my wife. We wanted to go when the kids were at primary school age. We had a number of rational reasons. But one of the reasons, I, I just felt I needed to peel a few more layers away. So we went on uh, this two-year adventure to, to Auckland and lived in Auckland for a fantastic time and came back about six months ago. And one of the things that Will and I did there is write the um, Power of Belonging book. And we, we've got this quote in there. Ultimately, we need to allow our false selves to die if we are going to start living, let alone leading. And for me, those layers were all about my, my individuality, my ego, my career. In contrast, my, actually, my desire to have relationships. I think I've got time for one quick story. When I was in Auckland, I came, became for the first time an international speaker. I was asked to go and speak in Melbourne in Australia. And whoa! And it's like, you know, I've done a fair amount of speaking over the years, and suddenly an international speaking opportunity. I thought, yes, I've done it. This is fantastic. I can put that on my CV, bio, Twitter, hashtag thing. And it would all be very exciting. And I went, and I did speak, and I spoke on resilience and a few other things, and I, I enjoyed it. But, boy, was it hollow that evening when I'd finished that day at that conference. Boy, was there an adrenaline letdown. And I found out that one of my oldest friends was travelling across from Perth to Melbourne. And I just saw on Twitter he was off to some meeting in Melbourne. So I, I messaged him and said, fancy a beer. And I went back out to the airport and we spent six hours sat in the bar at the airport chatting as old friends. And that was better than the eight hours I'd spent speaking that day as an international speaker. And I think, that, yes, you can have these things, these CV tags, but ultimately it is all about relationship. It's about community. It's about the friends that we have. It's about how much we know ourselves. Just to come into land, I don't think you can do much worse than the old Sunday school adage of joy, J-O-Y. Young suggested that perhaps we should be inspired by Jesus, for he is our goal. He is right there. That is what extroversion, introversion means. It means to chase after Jesus psychologically not to camp out on one of your 16 squares. Walking with others, because this is not a journey we can do alone. You cannot defeat shame by hiding away in the shame basement. You have to be vulnerable. And also by being yourself, understanding yourself, committing to the inward journey, committing to appeal every so often, because there is no other way that you will be the real you and taking off the mask. Over to Kate. Thanks, Rob. Awesome. 
Thank you. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Kate Middleton. I'm a psychologist, church leader, definitely not married to Prince William. Although a word specifically to the person who responded to uh, a post on Facebook that just last week about an event that I'm involved in or a thing that I'm involved in and said, I don't know. I'm not sure about her. Fancy using the name Kate Middleton sounds a bit dodgy actually my name. Anyway, <laughs> what I want to talk to us, talk to you then just as we close today. So we've opened with Will talking about the importance, the, the critical nature of self-care if we want to reach our potential, but also on, on the journey beyond that as we, as we move right the way through our leadership journey, just the value of that. Rob's talked about how we can function as part of a team, understanding ourselves, not just as individuals, but how we fit in with the other people involved with our own skill sets and the other people. I want to talk to you about something really important that we need to be intentionally remembering to do that I think is so often overlooked in our current culture. Because we've been on such a journey as a culture in terms of emotional health and wellness and our understanding of that. We talk about issues like burnout, self-care. These are topics on pretty much every conference you now go to. But is the risk that as we're talking so much more about emotional illness that we forget the thing that we're focused on, that we want to achieve? is actually the wellness, that we forget to include the things that are the the valuable things, the important things. We're so focused on the thing that we're trying to avoid. So I want to talk to us today about the pursuit of joy. You know, we all know the, the phrase from Nehemiah saying, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That word in the original language, in the Hebrew, strength literally means it's our fortress, our protection, our safe place. There is something protective in the value and the experience of joy in our life. It's critical for our well-functioning as human beings. Proverbs 4.23 says to us that more than anything we guard, we should guard our minds because everything else that we do flows from our mind. So if we forget to pursue joy, just as much as we're trying to avoid other things, are we forgetting a critical protective factor that God has built into our DNA as people? So I want to talk about how we intentionally pursue joy in our lives as part of our self-care and about three different types of joy that the Bible talks about that we can deliberately look to include in our lives, to schedule into our diaries, to remember as vital parts of our leadership journey, whatever context we're doing that leadership journey in. And the first one is just joy, pure joy. This is a Hebrew word. I'm going to pronounce all of these wrong, by the way. Simcha, so it's from the Old Testament. One example is Psalm 1611, you fill me with joy. Joy is the pure basic emotion, joy. As a psychologist, we talk about basic emotions that all human beings experience. Anger, happiness, sadness, anxiety, joy joy. We are designed as human beings to flourish when we have moments of joy, not just mild, mild happiness, general good mood, just about on the positive side, but actual joy. The question is, what is it that brings joy to your heart? And do you know what that is? Do you have time for it? As we grow older, as we grow more senior in leadership, the demands on our time, the responsibilities that we have grow and grow. Outside of your leadership context, you may be leading at home. You may have other demands from elderly relatives or other responsibilities that you have. Do you have time in your schedule for moments of joy? 
We talk so much about burnout and the risk is, as Will has already said, that what we're thinking is good, just I haven't burned out, I haven't burned out, I haven't burned out, this is good, I haven't collapsed yet, I haven't collapsed yet. You think, occasionally you have those moments in life where you think, this is it, this is, this is going to be, this is how I'm going to have my emotional collapse, this moment right now. But then it passes and you survived. So you think, well, I'm okay. Canadian church leader, Carrie Newhoff, who's here with us at this conference, he talks about low-level burnout. And his definition of it is great. It's this, he says, it's where the functions of life continue, but the joy of life has gone. Where the functions of life continue, but the joy of life has gone. What brings joy to your heart, friends? And when did you last have time for it? When did you last have time to schedule something in your diary that just brings that pure instinctive joy to your life? Do you need to have more fun? As my daughter would say, are you just getting really boring? And as leaders, do we feel guilty when we pursue that kind of joy? Because actually it's important for your flourishing as a human being. It's part of how you release your potential as leadership. The most important thing in your calendar might be that thing you do for you, which is about sustaining your energy, your joy, your love of life, your zest for what you do. Can you remember why you do it? Do you have moments where you can just experience joy? So that's number one. The second type of joy is from a Greek word from the New Testament. And the great thing about this type of joy is it comes from a much more reliable source than our internal emotional barometer, because it's about joy that comes from God. And it's a Greek word, kara, which has the same root as charis. Many of you will will know that word. And what this word describes is a sense of joy that comes from our understanding of God's grace, of God's forgiveness, of God's blessing in our life. Here's an example from Luke 2.10 when um, the angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. This is the type of joy when you are in a moment and you just have a second of recognizing in that moment how amazing God is and his blessing on you, the love he has for you, the things that he has done for you, the grace that is carrying you through. But the questions I want to ask you therefore is, do you have time to spot those blessings in your life? Again, as the busyness of life and leadership and responsibility grow, it's so easy to be head down thinking about your next deadline that you miss those things. Are you just too busy to spot them? The amazing things about this type of joy is it is external to you. It's external to a lot of the circumstances that can cause us such stress and struggle in our life. I love the bit in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. This is Genesis 39, 21, where it says, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Even in your prison times, even in your moments of difficulty, even in the darkest struggle when you're not sure where where you're going, why you're doing it, how you're going to get through the next day. This type of joy is open to you. The moments when God shows his faithful love, but do you spot them? It might be little things, the sun coming out on a dull day, a friend giving you a hug, a little thing. It may be little things you can build into your life, moments of reflection, of meditation, Make time for those things because they will sustain you through the prison times, the difficult times in your life. So that's number two. 
And then the third type of joy, another New Testament word, is a word that talks about a joy that comes from having a different perspective to our earthly perspective. It's a joy that comes from understanding God's perspective, a kingdom perspective, a bigger picture about why we're doing what we're doing, what the point is, what the worth of it is, what the value this is, a, it's, it's having a sense of Jesus' bigger victory in the things we're doing, not just in our own lives, but in the wider context that we're working. It comes from a, a sporting context, the original Greek word. So it's kind of like that feeling when your team win the football. Somebody must support football. I have Norwich supporters in my house. They've just been promoted. There is a lot of this type of joy. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's some of you here. I didn't know there were that many of you. (laughs) So there's a lot of this sense of joy in my house. But in our context, it's the joy of remembering Jesus' victory, God's victory. There is a reason we're doing this, whatever it is. Dealing with difficult people, slogging your way through a time of change in your context, building the amazing business, releasing the potential that you carry. It's a sense of having that bigger context of what you're doing. Acts 2.28, you will fill me with joy in your presence. It is that sense of wider context. So my question for that third type of joy then is, are you able to sustain it when as you grow, as you develop, the challenges of life and culture and leadership come in? Cynicism is a huge challenge to us, again, as we grow, as we work through leadership, as we become more senior, particularly as we deal with people and places and contexts that can sometimes be challenging. So how do you nurture hope throughout those times of difficulty? How do you fight back against the cultural cynicism that so easily grows in your life? Remember the story of Abraham told in Romans that his big win was that he managed to maintain hope even when human hope was lost. So in those moments when your brain wants to focus on the negative and the depressing and you feel full of gloom, how do you maintain a bigger perspective that sustains you, that enables you to find joy even through those things? You know, one of the things that we understand as psychologists about the human mind is that it does focus on the negative. Your brain is skewed to pick up on negative things, to remember them better, to focus on them better, because they're the things you generally need to learn from. This is why Paul's advice in Philippians 4, 8 is so amazing. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. How much would it change your life, your leadership, your self-care, your releasing of your potential, If you spent as long focusing on those things as you do worrying about the negative or obsessing about the things that have frustrated you this week, about the people you work with and the context you work in, but also about yourself, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. So as we fight for self-care, as we remember the value and the importance of sustaining our wellness throughout the things we're doing, let's not forget the pursuit of joy in all the things that we do. I'm going to take a moment to pray and then we'll have some time for some questions, comments from you guys. Father God, we thank you so much that we are people called to leadership, not because of the pursuit of our own greatness, Lord God, but because of this greater perspective that you call us to. Father God, we just hold in this space the many people, the individual stories, the unique experiences that everyone has brought here. And Father, I want to pray in particular for people who might be struggling today, 
perhaps struggling, feeling at the edge, feeling that they are dealing with burnout, feeling that they are not sure how to get themselves through this period. Lord God, we just pray the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray inspiration, blessing, peace that people would be able to find today and tomorrow at the conference the things that they need to get them through, the inspiration from you. And we do pray your joy, your blessings, your grace for whatever life is throwing at us in this moment. Bless us all, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kate. Great. We've got um, a few questions, and we've got about uh, 10 minutes to take some questions. I think a rule we've got uh, this, this year with, with questions is that there's a total amount of two minutes allowed per question for you to ask it and for us to answer it. So our suggestion is that your question is only 10% of the time available. So if you can make sure it's actually a question, that would really help us, and we want to go straight away. And you can, if you want to direct it to which, which of the three of us, otherwise we'll just share them out between us. This is a catch box, you talk into the top of it and we just chuck it around. So um, why don't we even start upstairs? We'll go there. So if you've got a question upstairs, we can even throw the catch box up there. Who's going to start? Here we go. Okay, we're going. How do we help people see that issues aren't as big as they might be for them when they think it's bigger than it is? One of the worst things we can say to those people is it's not, bigger. It's not as big as you think it is. Uh, I was their first entry. Um, it naturally, people overestimate risk. Um, that's a human reaction and response. What we need to do is help them to perceive their circumstances for themselves in a more realistic way. And the best way to do that is to ask them pertinent questions. So rather than giving them our perspective on their circumstance, we get them to appraise their circumstance in a new way. So start asking questions like, you know, why do, well, what is it you feel particularly anxious about in this circumstance? Or, or is there a particular thing that, that is making you feel low at the moment? And are there any things in the circumstance that make you feel better? So by using questioning, we don't, uh, if you like, layer a person's experience of things that appear to be overwhelming um, and it, with our own perspective, but we actually we help them to coach them themselves out of a distorted perspective. Yeah, one of the things that we know about emotions, particularly anxiety, but a powerful emotion is it makes your rational brain actually start to shut down so it's harder to think clearly. You become very binary. So you're either the hero or the villain. You either success or you've totally failed and usually it's that one. So I think if we can take people out of their context, help them drop particularly anxiety level. So sometimes getting away from the context that you're in to have those conversations or help people relax, take time out can help you then get back into a headspace where your problem solving becomes better, you can see things more clearly. It's not about positivity, it's about reality. It's about being objective, it's about appraising things. A good website, if you want to write it down, living life to the full with God. So L-L-T-T-F-W-G is Christianised online cognitive behavioural therapy for depression and anxiety, developed by myself and the Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Glasgow. Um, It's modules, free etc. Great, next question. Yeah. Okay, next one. No, well we go further than the front. Sorry, here we go. Okay. Can you um, just speak into rest and what part rest plays into looking after yourself? Who wants to go to sleep? Right, right yeah, it, starts. it depends on your job. So, I mean, I'm a psychiatrist. I work with people who are psychotic and suicidal all day long. So my day starts round about nine o'clock and it finishes round about five o'clock and then we have an on-call system. So I have very clear boundaries because I work with people who are very challenging. 
Some of them have extremely challenging personality disorders as part of that. Um, so for me, rest is when I'm not working. I just need to make sure I don't fill the rest of that with mind and soul stuff. Um, if you are a, a, a chief executive of a business or a, a, a church leader or a parish priest or something, you, you perhaps are more involved. So boundaries are difficult. What I would say is it's, it's not about a work-life balance. It's about having the boundaries that work for you. Some of them will be concrete external boundaries. Some of them need to be more flexible internal boundaries where you can't escape from a situation, but you have to be choosing at some level how you react to it. Yeah, so I would say, I mean, rest is absolutely essential. Um, every good context, so athletes, every good context people know if you want to achieve your full potential, rest is a crucial part of that model, and it's so easily left out. It is also a commandment. We are told that we are designed with this rhythm of work and rest, and both of them are important, and it's so easy for us to forget it. Rest may be the most important thing you do in your week. You feel like it's all the other times when you're productive, but rest enables you to work more efficiently. It means your mind works better, your emotions are calmer. If your stress level is lower, you're less prone to anxiety. So I think it is an absolutely central part of releasing your potential. It's so often neglected. And as as Nikki said this morning, you know, don't don't rest, don't go on a retreat if that's not you. You know, Nikki falls asleep when he prays, so he prayer walks. Um, There is no need to get all holy and go to a monastery to rest. You do what works for you. Play tennis, whatever. Okay, let's go for one more. Let's go, we go upstairs let's go, or not? Let's make sure we got a, 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 we got a lady at the front here. Let's go, let's go. Can you each tell us one thing you do to incorporate self-care on a daily basis? Yeah, so uh, every day, uh, for self-care's sake, I do, I do, well, a, a couple of things I do. The first one is I, I, I have a shaving prayer. So when I'm shaving, I look in the mirror and I pray one prayer every single day. And the prayer I pray is, God, let me fear you today and not man. And I find that that single prayer, it helps to order my whole day and helps me to realize that the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, is the thing that should control my life. And that affects the way I do self-care because God's commanded me to care for myself. And so I take that as a priority rather than the expectations of people as being my priority for how I manage my life. So my shaving prayer starts my day and helps me to get my day in order. And then I like to find that the margins of life are the place where I can find self-care. So I cycle my bike uh, from my home to my work and then back home again. And during that time, I sing loudly and out of tune uh, on my bicycle, uh, which is, you've heard it, yes, Pete's heard me. Uh, I like to, like to release stress. I sometimes do breathing exercises. People think I'm like having a panic attack on my bicycle. I'm actually uh, doing some breathing exercises on my bike. I stretch my legs in a strange way, and I sometimes swing them rather than having them on the pedals. Uh, so you might have seen me do all sorts of strange things. In the margins of, my, of the margins of my day that, for me, form part of an attitude of self-care. And I find that I'm a better husband, a better father, and a better leader because I, I, I don't go famine or feast with self-care. I do everyday little things that help me to function well. Yeah, I'm, I'm a biker too, actually, so I'm a cyclist. I'm a massive introvert, so I love to get out on my bike to get away, and that serves all the functions for me, so it's the pursuit of joy. I absolutely love cycling in that weird, fanatical way that cyclists do. I know that those of you who don't like it won't understand, but we actually enjoy it. Um, I also get away, so people are always trying to come cycling with me. Oh, I'll come on a bike. I'm like, no, you have not understood why I cycle. It's to get away from everybody else, and it is prayer space. It's headspace. It's being out in creation and out in nature it's awesome so if you can't get yourself a good name get a bike um get a good bike oh no that's a bad place to end we love kate middleton's name 
tell us one, one bit of self-care you can well, get away. I, I, joking apart, I do actually cycle. I cycle past one of the volcanic plugs in Edinburgh called Arthur's Seat, and I cycle through it, and I do things like... I just enjoy the little yellow line along the side, and just, just, I just love cycling past Arthur's Seat. It's, it's in between work and, and home. Great. Well, I think this, everyone needs to go out and get a bike today. Clearly biking is It's been a pleasure and a joy, everyone. Pete, back to you. Let's show these guys our huge appreciation. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Really great and practical things to apply.